Hi, everyone. It's your podcast host, Jim Andrews, here with a reminder that the Ticket Manager Partner Summit is back. We'll be getting together in person on October 17th this year at the Times Center in New York City. This is a free, invitation-only event where hundreds of business leaders across the world's most influential brands in sports, sponsorship, live events, and ticketing gather to make great connections and share valuable information. Approved attendees enjoy exclusive networking events, insightful panels, and exciting celebrity speakers, all for free. Are you interested in attending? Just go to ticketmanager.com for details on how to apply. Hello and welcome to Ticket Manager's All Access Interview Series, engaging leaders from across the sports marketing spectrum to identify and explore critical issues in the business of sports, entertainment, sponsorship, activation, ticketing, hospitality, and even more. I'm your host, Jim Andrews. Joining me on this episode to discuss brand experiences, sponsorship selection, and what makes a great partner is Renee Ramos, Vice President Field Marketing for lifestyle and experiential marketing at Constellation Brands. Best known for beer brands such as Corona and Modelo, but also home to many popular wine and spirits brands. Uh, Renee, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Jim. One of the things that is interesting to me uh, has been we've seen this kind of arms race with the opening of a lot of new new buildings, stadiums, arenas, you know, L.A., Vegas, San Francisco, other cities, recent years. And, you know, some of these places are amazing, you know, state of the art. And, you know, what that means, I'm, I'm imagining, is that there's also a bit of competition and kind of a leveling up for those branded destinations uh, with inside those uh, buildings. And your brands are involved uh, in, in more than one of those. So my question for you would be, you know, how do you ensure that spaces like the Modelo Cantina, the Corona Beach House, uh, how do you stand out when, you know, people are walking into these new buildings with, you know, very heightened expectations? I'd imagine it puts puts a little bit of uh, pressure on, on you and your brands. Yeah, it, it really does. Because, you know, with, with all these new advances in technology and, and enhancing and building uh, and the structures and the billets themselves, the biggest benefit that we've seen with that is in order to meet consumer expectation, we basically tag along for the ride as they're building out the infrastructure. So where we can and where it's been possible, and we've been very fortunate, you named a few of the more notable ones that we've been a part of recently with Chase Center, with the Golden State Warriors, with SoFi Stadium in LA, Allegiant Stadium in, in Vegas. We were in on the ground floor, literally. So before there was even anything on the ground, we were talking to them about what we wanted that consumer experience to look and feel like. Uh, we talked to them about what kind of technology enhancements are you bringing in? What are going to be your Wi-Fi capabilities? What's the LED or Oculus technology that you're bringing in and adopting? So we were trying to take full advantage of all the new technologies they were bringing in to say, what are bits and pieces of that that we can take and then scale down to live and breathe inside our areas so that that experience becomes as seamless as possible, right? Because you set this expectation of this amazing new stadium. And then the last thing you want to do is go into a bar where it's, you know, a printed out, you know, banner or something like that. Like that, that is not the consumer experience you want to deliver. So we really leaned on them to say like, what, what is that technology experience that you're looking to deliver and how can we take pieces of that 
embed it, whether it's digital walls, signage, Wi-Fi, simple things as Wi-Fi access, being able to have moments that you could post to social media, but you know you don't want that frustration of not being able to connect to the Wi-Fi. Just li- literally little details like that where we're like, how do we ensure that that journey is as seamless as possible and really leverages the new technology that they'll be putting in? And we took that into consideration in all design aspects from the moment you walk into our, uh, one of our branded spaces uh, in the Modelo Cantina, there's a digital wall. And it tells you a little bit of the history of the Modelo brand and where it's from. When you walk in, everything's got a super premium feel. It's not static signage. We tried to use digital as much as possible and really have abilities where we can to update messaging. So we'll have that ability as well to keep things uh, up to speed and up to date. Because these are, you know, these aren't two or three year deals. These are five, six, seven year deals. So we got to make sure that we can evolve with that over time. Going beyond that, your portfolio now has gotten really large, um, you know, between the, the beer brands that we talked about and, and some of the spirits brands. And you're you, obviously you're national, you're, you're in markets all over the country. You know, that gives you a large pool of sponsorship opportunities. And I would imagine you have no lack of people uh, knocking on your door and, and sending emails uh, with, with those opportunities. How do you approach kind of the, the sponsorship selection, vetting, acquisition process? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a arduous process. And, and the, the thing that we try to do and, and really focus on is ultimately, how is it going to deliver our brand goals? And not just from a national perspective, but truly from a local perspective. So it is a, it is a local business when you get down to it, whether you're you know talking about beer, wine, or spirits, it's ultimately like what's relevant for that consumer in that marketplace and what's going to differentiate your brands amongst the competition there. When you look at what we're doing in LA, Medela is the number one beer out there. From a dollar share perspective, it's bigger than Miller Lite, Coors Light, and Bud Light combined. Wow. So yeah, we have a very different perspective about how we take Modelo to market there versus in New York, where Corona is still king. It's the number one dollar share brand. Mm-hmm. So very different dynamics of things that we have to manage, but still having the national priorities that we need to deliver from the Modelo side and the Corona side. So we, we, once we get down to that selection of opportunities, it's about what are the key markets? And what do we need to accomplish in those markets? What are the local objectives? And again, like I said, the portfolio strengths differ based on geography. So what are we trying to accomplish in that particular uh, market? You know, where, where's our brand development index? Where are we from a velocity standpoint? What's our distribution rates there? So looking at the business at the local level and saying like, what, what are the gaps that we need to fill? And how do those opportunities help us fill those? Whether it's building brand awareness, whether it's giving us something that we can take to a large format grocery store, liquor store on premise? Um, is it sampling? So it's really taking apart the business at the local level and saying like, how do these partnerships help fill in those gaps uh, to deliver against those business objectives? I always like to use these uh, conversations to, to help educate, especially those of us who are not in the brand world. And you just mm-hmm. used a phrase, brand development index. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. What, do you think, what is that exactly? That's a new one for me, at least. Yeah, so it's it. People usually hear it as BDI, but it's basically where your where your brand stands amongst its competitive set within a given market. So you know wh- where is that known development of that brand of the awareness in, in a BDI world? I'd be looking at what is my level versus you know a Bud Light or a Stella or a Heineken or something like that. So uh, where you're basically rank stacking yourself, uh, rack stacking yourself against uh, your competitive set. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. So it, it sounds like that then really when you look at these different markets and whether you're, you're the top brand or it's a growth market for you, it's going to come down to, and correct me if I'm wrong here, not so much 
who you're sponsoring, but but how you're sponsoring, and 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 the activations are really going to be what uh, what are kind of distinguished between those those kinds of markets. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, we we always look at you know what is that again back to the relevancy, like where does that property or that partnership fit in in regards to what's going to get a consumer excited in that local marketplace? What's going to help make our brand relevant? But then on top of that, like, does it make sense? Like, does it make sense for the Modelo brand or the the Naomi wine to get involved with that particular partnership? Because there's some shared equities between those two that make sense. So making sure that it's not going to be some outlandish proposition when a consumer says, yeah, I, I can see why that brand would be associated with something like that. Uh, and that kind of opens the door, if you will, for, for us to have an ability to have a conversation with that consumer uh, and for them to consider us. So there's that aspect of it. Does it make sense from a variety of different aspects? And then what's it going to do for us? To your point, you know, what is that programming that we're going to be able to get out of it? Is it going to meet our objectives? Again, is it a sampling play? Is it a distribution play? Are we just trying to go general awareness? Is it availability? Like, do we want to just have our brands available in that building, right? So people can sample them. So there's a variety of different factors that we that we put in there. And sometimes it's all of those things. And we just have to, uh, we have to rack and stack about which one of these are going to be our biggest priorities to do. And again, to your point earlier, we're like a lot of opportunities, which one of these opportunities, if there's 10 of them, can't do all 10, nor would we want to, right. you know, out of the, out of those 10, like what are the one, two or three, they're going to give us the best shot. Uh, to live up to to what we need to do to deliver to the business. That's a great segue to what I wanted to ask you next. You were quoted recently as saying, our best partners are the ones that help us evolve our engagement strategy as we activate, constantly bringing new ideas and, and approaches. So is that something, and, and I, I want to ask you about some examples of that in a minute, but, but as when we're talking about the selection process, is that something you're you're trying to determine uh, even in those initial conversations? Like, uh, hey, is this is this organization going to be a good partner and, and able to do those things? Yeah, no, it's absolutely something that we take into consideration. I mean, from the moment the first contact is made to that first conversation or first you know set of meetings, we're we're basically evaluating like what is our sense about what this partner understands about our business, what they understand about the market that they're in. You know, how how up to speed are they with the competitive environment there? And are we seeing ideas that we've never seen before? Or does this feel like it's a copy and paste exercise from any beer proposal they would have put in front of anybody or any wine proposal they would have put in front of anybody? Because you'd be surprised. Sometimes you can kind of tell that where it's like, this is literally insert any beer brand here kind of mentality. And, and you can kind of see that. And you know those conversations, not that they don't go anywhere, but when we have to put so much work to make, to get excited about it, you know, that's, it's not a good first sign, I guess is the best way to put it. So, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're evaluating that from that moment that we pick up that phone or, or have that first WebEx or, or in-person meeting to have those conversations about, you know, number one, why us, you know, why are you guys interested in us and where do you think we fit in? And for them to kind of outline the story of, we think for X, Y, Z reason, this brand fits, have they done their homework about what our brand's all about, what our positioning's about, beyond what they've seen on TV, like, yeah, we've seen the activations you've done with other people in the league or other, other parts, uh, other partners across the country. I'm um, bringing able to bring those examples in and saying like, we need that. We want that kind of activation here. And here's what we think we can bring to you as part of that uh, value proposition and what we give back to you. Uh, I always like to tell my team, it's about one plus one equals three. So we're looking for partners that help us get to that three. What would you estimate is kind of the, the percentage of, a, of those kind of conversations and those sales conversations where the properties are, are doing a good job? I think it's gotten better. I'd say, you know, if you'd asked me that question a few years ago, it was kind of low. It was probably like 
40% maybe that, you know, a little less than half what I'd say where like people did their homework, if you will. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've gotten more into like that 60 to 65 range. Internet's a beautiful thing, right? Like people are doing their homework, um, social media, they can go on our Twitter handles, they can go see our social media feeds. Uh, and you're just able to have a, you know, more information at your fingertips about what the brand is doing as a whole. So things have definitely gotten better as people use those resources. And I'm always impressed when they come in and they have analytics that they've pulled from either social listening that they've done from their end. And they're showing off kind of their capabilities about how they listen to their fan base and how they engage there and saying, we, we pinged our fan base, did a quick survey. And this is what we found out about people prone to drink your products or your brands, stuff like that, where they've gone that extra mile and they're basically showing off the technology and access to information that they have. Like, if you guys are thinking about your business that way, then I have a better feeling about what you can do for our business in turn. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear that that's, that's moving in the right direction. Because yeah. um, I know there are a lot of things uh, that we see kind of moving slowly in our business. And uh, that <laughs> sounds like at least, at least we're getting there. Um, yeah. So, so we've been talking about kind of the beginning stages, but um, are there examples from from some of your, your your current partnerships where you know as the as the relationship has kind of grown and evolved, where back to to your quote, where where a partner has really come in and said, "Hey, I've got a great idea of how you know you can." better engage with, with our fans, maybe relying on some of that, you know, data or insights that they have. One that I thought was really interesting. And it's funny because it was, uh, it's, it started out as a, uh, as a corporate social responsibility play that we were doing with the PGA. And uh, we, we essentially with Naomi wine, we had an idea and it was, it was going to be a CSR component with the PR play to it, where we were going to have uh, this, this thing called the Naomi Pinot put off. And we said, you know what, we're going to do this. It's going to be more of a public relations play, but we're going to donate some money. Uh, and this is actually, co- uh, we had it in, in line before COVID and then we ended up executing it during COVID anyways. Right. Um, and essentially we partnered up with some notable PGA players and we were going to raise some money, give this some, don- uh, some of the donations that they had uh, to some of the endowments that they're involved with. Uh, and that was going to be our approach. It was going to be very simple. And we weren't going to try to get like mass scale with the PGA and then when we talked to the PGA, we said, you know, we really, as a constellation, as an organization, really wants to help the on-premise channel in particular, because that's the channel that got shut down, bars, restaurants, clubs. Absolutely. They just couldn't have people, you know, gathered together. And what, and where, uh, this is where PGA came in and said, well, two things. One, number one, you know, we've got a ton of organizations, these, all, all these tournaments that we, that we're involved with that are, that are part of the PGA tour these are basically small businesses and they can't raise money and, you know, basically create and give the donations that they do because they don't have people on site. They've got no ticket sales, et cetera. We said, all right. So that, that was one thing they pointed out to us. So like, how do we help them? And then on top of that, how do we ensure that we can help like golf clubs and, and other on-premise establishments that again, they have members, but they can't gather they're closed down. Like how do we help them kind of keep the lights on when they've got wait staff, bar staff that aren't working because all these country clubs and golf cl- golf courses are shut down. So we partnered that after kind of bringing that to light, they said, let's figure out a way to work together where we'll broadcast this out on PGA channels. Uh, and we'll make people aware that you guys are basically raising money. So, you know, working with our partners uh, on the player side, we tied in with their charities and then we extended it out. They basically through their social media networks started getting other people involved. And so every person that participated virtually and did their own version of the Pinot putt off, which was very simple. It's you have a bottle of Naomi Pinot wine. You swing your club, get your putt in there. Hopefully you make the hole in one. 
And then you pass on the challenge to somebody else. And for every challenge that was passed on, we were going to donate towards these causes. Um, that was, you know, that added value came from the PGA where they said, you can expand this and actually get it scale. Uh, and yeah. And so you, you can make, you can have a broader reaching effort than what you guys originally envisioned. So, you know, using their channels, using the players channels and having them, you know, help us promote it, uh, was a big step up and getting that reach and scale that we would have had decent ones with some paid media behind it, but it, it had more organic feel to it with them behind it. The PGA tour was, is, is a great example. Any others that you uh, can think of recently? Yeah. Uh, another one that sticks out is a, uh, is a promotion we did with the UFC. And uh, we saw a pivotal moment in, in that sport where Dana White, the president of the UFC comes in and he, they call it belting the champion where he literally takes the belt and either crowns a new champion or, or the reign of an existing champion. Uh, and it happens in the octagon. It's a special moment. And it's a big moment in the sport. As we learned about the UFC consumer and kind of those key pivotal moments, like that's in, that's, as you can imagine, a very exciting moment for a consumer. And we thought, how do we take advantage of that and bring the consumer into that moment in some uh, shape or form? And we threw out the wild idea. And this is one of those things where it's not in the contract. You haven't negotiated it. You're not, you're not necessarily paying for that specific asset. But we told them kind of how we were looking at it and saying, how do we bring our fan closer to that specific moment in time? It's one thing to be able to bring a consumer into an arena to watch a fight. Like that's a great experience sure. and having front row seats. But like, how do we take it a step further? And we basically pitched this idea to them saying, how, how do we get that moment in time to do it? Like, could we have a consumer in the octagon or figure out a way for them to be part of that moment? UFC took the idea, said, give us a couple of days. We'll come back to you. They come back to us a few days later and said, we'll go a step further with you guys. That person's going to hold the belt and hand it to Dana White before he actually belts the champion himself or herself. Uh, again, and we, again, it was one of those things where you're not paying for it. You're not looking for it. You just set, you just stated an objective trying to bring a fan closer to the, to that moment in time, to that brand. And they came back with just this crazy over delivery of integrating Dana into it having a consumer be there in that very intimate moment that only a few people get to experience inside that octagon uh, and, and delivering a brand experience unlike any, anything else. So to me, like those are the types of above and beyond partnerships where that whole one plus one equals three experience happens. Uh, and and that, to me, that's one of the best examples that we have uh, with a partner like UFC. And in fact, the promotion we ended up calling it was Belt the Champion with Dana White. So also bringing in Dana as part of the whole thing, right? And, and, and his IP that comes with that. So uh, again, all things above and beyond, you know, anything that we had negotiated in a contract or, or had talked about during any moment in time of programming or, or activation with that team. Yeah, that's a huge added value. I mean, my, my God. Yeah. Renee, I really appreciate you uh, joining us and uh, and sharing some of those 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 great insights. I think uh, a, lot of, a lot of great takeaways and uh, just really appreciate you uh, taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. No, I appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's always fun to do these and I uh, love the fact that you guys reached out. So uh, we're always happy to show off the work and talk a little bit about the industry. Great. Well, thanks again. And on behalf of Ticket Manager, thanks to everyone who listened and be sure to join us again for the next episode in our all access interview series.